open up those big old Bibles to Acts chapter 16, Acts chapter 16, or open your app or whatever you use to read the Bible with. Um, a few months ago, uh, July actually, in Acts chapter 8, I had, I had been reading a book uh, and, and found, I mean, the, the book is good across the board. Oh, Kingdom Kids, sorry. Oh my goodness. They don't need me to tell them. They are amped to leave the room. So if you don't know and you have a child all the way through fifth grade, they can leave too. You just can't. All the way through fifth grade may leave. Um, so I was reading a book called Atomic Habits. I don't know if any of y'all read it. It was a bestseller, kind of one of those books everybody was buying. And if you fly a lot and you're bored, you just get a book to read. That was one of them. But in the book, uh, it, it was more than just one of those. I was really pleased with it. Um, he makes a number of observations, but one distinction that he makes that I think is really important, I shared this back in July, it's worth repeating, is the difference between motion and action. And you may remember me talking about this, but he defines motion as thinking about doing something, planning to do something, just thinking about whatever it is you're going to do next. And so we all spend a lot of time in motion. He, he contrasts that with action. And it's where he says action is actually taking the step and doing something. So um, he makes another observation from that, that, that most people spend most of their life in motion, not action. Because motion appears to be action because it makes, it makes you feel like you're doing something. Like how many of you at work go to way too many meetings, right? Everybody who works goes to far too many meetings to talk about doing something. It's that feeling. But, but at the end of the day, uh, supervisors and, and, and uh, often bosses can feel like they did something because they scheduled a bunch of meetings. That's motion. But this, the reason he says, and I, I think he's right, I think he's on to something, the reason that most of us never or seldom take action is because action involves risk, the risk of failure, right? Here's a quote from, from that book. He says, if motion doesn't lead to results, then why do we do it, right? Why do we spend so much time talking about doing things? Sometimes we do it because we actually need to plan or learn more, but more often than not, we do it because motion allows us to feel like we're making progress without running the risk of failure. Most of us are experts at avoiding criticism, and it doesn't feel good to fail or to be judged publicly, so we tend to avoid situations where that might happen. And that's the biggest reason why you slip into motion rather than taking action. You want to delay failure. What I might say for the Christian is you want to delay obedience. That's ultimately the observation that I made in July with Acts 8, but let's just take this and kind of just relate it to, I think, our journey. I've seen the reality of the crippling reality of spiritual motion for a number of years, spiritual inaction in Christ's church. We talk about things, plan things, but never take the risk of doing those things. We plan to make disciples. We plan to have gospel conversations. We plan to take cookies to our neighbor, but we never or seldom do those things. And the result of this in Christ's church is just talking about doing things in Jesus' name or thinking about doing them for Jesus' sake or dreaming about them for Jesus' kingdom, but makes no real difference in the world around us at the end of the day. Now, in the church, we just don't say no, right? We don't say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to be faithful. We like to make overly spiritual excuses for the reason that we don't do stuff. And so some of my favorites that I've heard is, um, I'm praying about what to do next or let me pray about it, right? Now, this is well-intended that we often want to pray about it, but if I'm asking you, if you're being asked to be obedient to Jesus, I'm not telling you not to pray, but I'm telling you 
you don't need to seek God's will in this because he's already told you his will in this. Be faithful to make disciples, kind of one of those things. Other spiritual excuses, I like this one. I just need to be fed at this point in my life. Betsy, was that you that made that noise? <laughs> Betsy's never heard, have you ever heard that, Betsy? Has anyone ever told you that? I, I don't want to serve, I just need to be fed right now. <laughs> She does it again. She can't help. It's like PTSD. I'm just trying to find the thing I'm really gifted or what God really wants me to do, so no. I'm just really trying to determine God's will for my life. No matter how we say it, what we say, we often are are using the excuse that I'm just, if God speaks from a burning bush, I'll say yes. Otherwise, I don't think so. And what I realize is, is that we spend so much time really in motion looking for God's will that I think we fail to see it in the midst of where we are. I think we fail to see God's will right in front of our faces. God's will is not like a, a spiritual lifelong crossword puzzle. That's not God's will. God's will is not like you have to wait to get to the bottom of the cereal box to put on the 3D glasses to know the end of the maze. That's that's not God's will. But I think we kind of like that because if it is mysterious like that and we can't really figure it out, then we can spend our whole life saying, you know, I just haven't really found God's will. So I want to deal with that with the text in front of us today because the way that the early church moved, like specifically we're going to see Paul and several others just moving forward in mission, never really pausing for a minute. And we're going to see like clear references to the Holy Spirit, but yet we're also going to see just faithful obedience. Here's, here's the beauty of, of what I'm trying to tell you today. If you, if you remember nothing else, I'm going to say this multiple times. If you're looking for God's will, I can tell you what it is. It is God's mission. God's will is God's mission. So do the next thing. Do the next thing. Quit delaying. Quit trying to figure out the very fine details. Quit stopping at every fork in the road and just staying in that fork for years, if not your whole life. And know this, that God's will is God's mission, so do the next thing. I think we're looking for these radical experiences all the time, and we're just convinced that we'll be obedient when God does this thing. And that's, putting, that's doing nothing more than putting our God to the test. And so I want to challenge you today to just think about mission a little more simply, Think about God's will a little more specifically in this sense and quit trying to navigate life and build life and mold life to be this huge experience and acknowledge that mission, mission is where you are. That's what I want to go after. So let's pray and, and see what in the world I'm talking about this and how I'm talking about this from Acts chapter 16. Father, um, there is not an accident or an accidental present, and like we are not in this space by accident in any way. We're not in Boone by accident. Oftentimes, I, I, I think that I feel like almost looking over the present for the sake of the future, missing out on the mission you called us to right in front of our faces and our homes, where we want to be faithful. And we want to we want to we want to follow your will and, and do the next thing. <laughs> Be obedient. So just just teach us, Father, today about the beauty of your mission and your will. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
So the Jerusalem Council just shared the response that Gentile believers did not require, were not required to be circumcised. Um, and that letter has gone out from Jerusalem to all the churches. Um, Paul and Barnabas have just separated. So now Paul is leaving on his missionary journey um, with Silas. And then we come into the scene now in, in chapter 16, verse 1. Paul uh, came also to Derby and Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. So Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. Not the most exciting passage, especially for Timothy, but significant. And we'll talk about how this just seemingly like let's just do these things relates because verses 6 through 10 change the scene a little bit. And we see this clear language about the Spirit of God. And so they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia and having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And so when they came up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So, passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night, a man of Macedonia, who was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Just uh, on, on the initial just kind of context of this passage, we meet Timothy for the first time, and Timothy is going to go on to be uh, a missionary companion um, connected to Paul in every single way, involved in all his work. Paul would write later and consider Timothy a son in the faith, and he would address two letters to Timothy ultimately, and Timothy would be listed as a co-sender in six other of Paul's letters. This fellow worker as this son in the faith quickly grew from this first introduction to be a significant worker for the gospel. And in this scene, he comes upon Timothy, so we now have four people in this caravan. We know about Paul, Silas, Timothy, and now Luke. Look at verse 10, first person language, and we joined. It's just a kind of a neat reality Luke has been giving us. Luke has built this history of the early church, but now he's writing from first person as they joined to go west. And so what they're getting ready to do is travel west, and ultimately the Macedonian call is going to take them into Europe. Here's a quick map of the second missionary journey between the years 51 and 53 AD. So they're in the midst of this three-year missionary journey. And so all of these things, essentially, if you look at the bottom right of this map, you see Jerusalem. Of course, they delivered the letter back up to Antioch and were sent out of Antioch. That's where we see Paul and Barnabas separating. And so they start heading north and plan to just head west through Asia. We're not sure exactly what cities they're speaking of, but the Macedonian call, if you look far west on the map or left on the map, you see Philippi, Thessalonica. You see the European movement of the gospel, and that's ultimately where they're drawn. And so this band of four brothers and many others who are probably traveling in some form or fashion move on. Now, this call may seem very different. The first five verses of this story is just really about Timothy um, and, uh, and, and a way in which to reach people. And the second one, we see the 
the Spirit of God. We see the Spirit of Jesus. In verse 10, in the concluding verse, we see that God had called them. So we see the, the work of Father, Son, and Spirit. And it's clear kind of spiritual language on display. Are these two stories completely different? Is the first story apart from the Spirit? Is the first story of Timothy's circumcision, does the Holy Spirit have anything to do with it or not? Uh, ultimately, I ask a question of this text. I'm like, well, what is God's will in all of this? Because it's a lot of stuff happening. What is God's will? Uh, just think about the way that, that we, if we were in their situation, if we were joining with Paul, we'd be saying, well, is it God's will for Timothy to be circumcised? Or should they not just adhere to the teaching of the Jerusalem council? Is God's will Phrygia or Troas? Is God's will John Mark or Silas? I mean, you may not be asking those kinds of questions, but ultimately we're asking questions about God's will, aren't we? Who will I marry? Should I take this job or that job? Should I disciple person A or person B? Should I eat a taco or a cheeseburger? That's my daily conflict in my mind, at least. But ultimately, if you look back, you don't see these kinds of questions being asked in the text. Like, should I do this or that or this or that or this or that? It's ultimately like there is this satisfaction and this joy in literally just trusting God and doing the next thing. One that I don't see anymore. Like, like we're, we are crippled waiting for burning bushes, <laughs> in a sense. This is, this is the issue that leaves many of us in motion our entire lives. Never taking a meaningful step forward. So much of this background came from a really helpful book called Just Do Something by Kevin DeYoung. We used to give it years ago to lots of folks, but the idea is, is, is just that premise. Like we spend our entire lives like saying, is this God's will? Is that God's will? Is this God's will? Listen to what he says. So he says, so all y'all trying to figure out God's will, just go marry someone provided you're equally yoked and you actually like being with each other. Go get a job provided it's not wicked. Go live somewhere in something with somebody or nobody, but put aside the passivity and the quest for complete fulfillment and the perfectionism and the preoccupation with the future. And for God's sake, start making some decisions in your life. Don't wait for the liver shiver, emotional hibby-jibbies, y'all. That's what he's saying. If you're seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, you will be in God's will. So just go out and do something. That's the point of the whole book. I'm just waiting for this thing. Hush and quit, using, just quit trying to cover up your laziness with spiritual speak and save me the time. That's like what I want to say. But most simply, Oswald Chambers, year, years ago, was asked a similar question. Dr. Chambers, Dr. Chambers, and this guy wrote extensively on prayer and spiritual disciplines and spent days and days and days discerning the Father's will. And he said, Dr. Chambers, what is God's will? He says, trust God and do the next thing. Trust God and do the next thing. Take the next step. That's the beauty, beauty of the early church. What is God's will? God's will is God's mission. So do the next thing. God's will is to make disciples. God's will is to faith, that you faithfully follow him. God's will is to advance his kingdom. God's will is for you to disciple others. God's will is for you to worship him. God's will is for you to love him. We are so caught up in how we specifically do those things that we stay stuck at every single fork in the road, not even acknowledging that in that, in that stuckage and in that hesitation, we are obedient to the very will that we seek. God's will is God's mission, so do something. So, some points of application that we're going to build through this passage. The first one, I think, rightly so, considering such a powerful book, gave the idea, just do something, right? Be intentional about what you're doing.
Why in the world did Timothy have to get circumcised? This was a grown man. I read this text and I said, oh, Timothy. I mean, if anybody ever had a chance to appeal to grace, it was his opportunity. <laughs> Y'all just sent the letter out that said, I don't have to do this. Like, why didn't he do that? Like, Timothy, don't know what's about to happen to you, man. <laughs> Paul, Paul didn't believe that. Paul didn't believe this was necessary for his righteousness. Like, in Galatians, you know what Paul says? is like, it's not necessary for righteousness, y'all. Paul makes an apologetic, that's a defense, a fancy word for defense, a defense against the need for circumcision. And he was the primary advocate for the Gentile Christians, right? But here's the deal with Timothy. His dad's a Greek, his mom's Jewish. So why? I mean, is there, is there a deep theological treatise? No, we don't have an indication there was a, a deep theological discussion here. Did they, did they, listen, at no point today am I suggesting you don't fast or pray. You should fast and pray. God calls us to do that. But we don't see a deep fasting and prayer going on here. It's just like Timothy's like, all right. <laughs> right? Paul, Paul, reconciles Timothy's lineage through his Jewish mother, which is appropriate. That's what would happen. But still, I feel like Timothy could have appealed to the grace and Paul would have probably agreed. Some, Timothy could have easily said this. He goes, well, listen, I am not under the law. I'm not going to appeal to the law. And they're just going to have to deal with it because I'm no, under, no longer under that law and kind of just done that thing that we always do in the name of grace. But the law don't have no hold on me. But he doesn't do that. They just do it. But they do it for very intentional reasons. Because to have a member of his group who had Jewish lineage and yet was uncircumcised would have done one thing. It would have hampered his effectiveness amongst the Jews. That's it. He was doing this to reach people with the gospel. So, I don't know how the conversation went. Hey, Timothy, I know I just met you. <laughs> but we gotta have a talk. <laughs> Timothy's like, okay, uh, so this will help us reach people with the gospel. Yeah, okay. And then that's, that's how it went, I think. I think, that's, I think that's how it went. Here's the point. We, we, we joked around this week in staff about like how we could call the church to be obedient. You know, we're not going to share that though. I mean, if, if, you, if you're ever like, I don't have the time, I'm like, Timothy got circumcised. What's your excuse? Like, that's the ultimate sacrifice there. But think how simple this is for just a minute. There wasn't this deep, like, perplexing, spiritual, should I, could I, would I. It's like, hey, we want to be able to reach them with the gospel. So you need to do this. Okay. Like, I'm so thankful. I don't know, Timothy, but I'm so thankful. Like, there wasn't this moment. It's like, well, Paul, let me retreat for three to five months because I'm really busy. And think about if this is what God wants me to do or not because I just got so much going on. And I don't know if it's this or that or this or this. I got so many demands on my life. He's like, okay. And Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 9, to the Jews I become as a Jew in order to what? Win the Jews. To those under the law, it becomes one under the law, though not being myself under the law, he says. 
that I might win those under the law. That's why I do it. I do it for the sake of mission. That's God's will. God's will is to make disciples. This is I enter a synagogue in every city I can strategically. So in order to enter the synagogues, if I have Timothy, whose mother is, a, is Jewish, I need to take him with me. And I need to say, hey, listen, he's circumcised too, y'all. Let me just share some good news with you. Very, very practical. Don't overthink it. God's will is God's mission. So do the next thing. Just do something. But be strategic in that too. Like that, this is not just, a, just you know, throwing, throwing everything out at once. Be strategic for the gospel in this. I, I don't want to spend too much time here because we've really gotten this idea. But, but stop being so consumed, I think, just this is a point I want to make. Stop being so consumed with the future or who you're going to meet one day, or what's going to happen one day, like, be where you are, is what I'd say. And recognize when you really look around the people God has already placed in your life, you're going to be overwhelmed at the opportunity for his mission. Just recognize that maybe, just maybe there's a slight chance that all the people you're called to reach are the people who are already around you. I, I just wonder if we're kind of fear of missing out these days, like we, we got to be doing the most adventurous thing or the biggest thing out there or the best thing out there, and we're missing the people God's just put right in our midst. Dig deep with the people already in your life is what I'm saying. Don't bounce around. Don't pray for a whole new group of people all the time. Be strategic with the relationships that God has already provided. If you want to know God's will, look around you. God's will is God's mission, so do the next thing. So these first five verses, as we conclude there, we're going to go down to six, six through ten. It's kind of clear. It's, it's really, I love this passage because I, I, I firmly believe that um, we need to be about this in the church. There is nothing more joyous to see faithful servants say, okay. And I'm like, oh, that was really easy. Like, what, is there a catch? Like to ask somebody, hey, will you, will you, consider, um, will you consider discipling uh, this person? Okay. Like, how does that, that, that rare, how, I don't know. I'm, poor Betsy, you already put yourself on the spot today. Not too often does that happen. Would you attest? See, that people, people will believe you, Betsy, because you're kind. It's not very often that happens, though. You don't understand how often we really try to engage people to disciple others, and they throw out the spiritual stuff. Like, mm, yeah, I don't know if it's that person or this. Just like, but when I hear okay, it is like, manna from heaven because I think that person gets it it's not going to be like they're waiting maybe for a feeling like do you remember uh, the butterflies in your stomach like they'll get this feeling oh yes I'm supposed to disciple them they're shutting up like just saying okay because you know it's God's will to make disciples right so you know it's God's will to disciple others that's that's all the same so these kind of first few verses happen the way but then we bring the spirit language in here and, and I'm like, think about verses 6 through 10, all that happens. So <clears throat> these, these, these guys, this crew for the gospel, they head out and they have their maps and they have their provisions and they have their granola bars and they have their coffee and they have everything they need for this long journey. And then they keep trying to go places and it's like the spirit of God keeps shutting the door in their face. I just... And when they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia, they're just like, okay, well, let's just go a different direction. Let's try something else. And when they come up to Mysia, they attempted to go in Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So they just keep going. And finally in the night, they have a vision. And Paul's like, hey, guys, I, we're going to need to discuss this. You notice it wasn't Paul getting the vision and saying no questions, ifs, ands, or buts. No, they discussed it because they concluded that God had called them to preach in verse 10. 
So Paul's like, let me tell you about this vision. The Father, Son, and Spirit are on full display in this passage. So I guess that's what it takes, y'all. I guess that's what it takes to, to, to know you're in God's will. Clear like a theophany. You know what a theophany is? It's when God makes himself visible. I guess that's what it takes. So none of us will know God's will until he shows himself. I guess I'll just go home now. All right. If that's the case. What, let, let's look back at the passage for a minute before we start, because the book of Acts has these miraculous signs and wonders occurring throughout, you know, uh, regularity. But, but is this one of those situations where Jesus audibly speaks to them? I, I don't know, but I don't think it is. In fact, I don't think what you have in this passage is kind of a moment, a burning bush moment at all. I don't think that's their redirection. The reason I don't think that is because Jesus is still continuing to audibly speak and appear, or the Father is, in the book of Acts. It happens in chapter 1, obviously, before Jesus ascends. We see the words of Jesus, but, but he also many other times does this as well. We look at chapter 9. You think about Saul's conversion, right? If you think about Saul's conversion, clearly Jesus confronts Saul on Damascus Road. And if you have a red-letter Bible, you can hop there and you can see it, right? The mouth, Jesus appears to Saul very clearly. So we know that there's evidence for that to continue. Uh, ver- chapter 11, you remember... Peter, or verse chapter 10 and 11, Peter and Cornelius and the blanket from heaven and God looking at Peter and saying, Peter, go eat all this food. What I say is clean, right? And then he retells that story. Clearly God speaks because as Peter is retelling that story, we know he is quoting like audibly Jesus speaking to him. And we know that Jesus is not done with that because it continues in chapter 18 when Paul is in Corinth. The Lord says to Paul in a vision, he audibly speaks. So But in this passage, we don't see any of that. And if you're really bored right now, this is so important. I'm sorry that you're bored. It's the worst thing ever. It's like my kids are like, I'm bored, okay. I don't care that you're bored right now. You need to get this. Why am I talking about this? Jesus continues to speak, theophanies continues, but in this passage, they travel literally all over this region, and it doesn't seem as though there is this moment from on high, this experience of the presence of God, but yet we know that it is not only spirit, it is the spirit of Jesus, and it is God. Because they understood God's will. They knew they were in God's will by being faithful. What seems to be here is simply them seeking to go to a place and whatever it could be. They were missionaries. They did the same thing missionaries do today. They make an entry strategy. They try to find a person of peace. They try to get into the community. And guess what happens when you can't find any of that? The mission's not going to be there. They're going to have to go somewhere else. So it seems that they kept running into either opposition or they couldn't find an entry person or a synagogue to get in a place of peace. It just wasn't working out. And I'm so thankful that Paul's not a modern Christian because he would have given that mess. Like when God shuts one door, he opens another one. Like, ah. <laughs> Just keep going. Just keep going. That's the key here. That's the beauty of this passage. They didn't look up. And the other fascinating thing is, I think it would have been very easy if I was them to say, like, when they, you make the first stop there, like, they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, but you get to Asia and be like, well, Satan's against us. It's actually not the enemy redirecting them in this passage, which is fascinating to me. It is God himself. What is the point of me clarifying all that is these guys made a wonderful plan, 
praise God for it. But they kept their hands open the whole time. So start where you are. God's will, just start. You know what God's called us to do. Make disciples, love the Lord, love our neighbors. Start where you are and keep your hands open. It's Proverbs 16.9, one, um, one of my favorite passages. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. So start where you are and just keep your hands open. That means simper gumby. Always flexible. That's what that means. Church folk are some of the most rigid folk in the world. I was thinking just as an example, I'll pick on myself and pick on y'all, just this Ryan property, the house behind us, you know, we next generation ministry space and then we had an opportunity for uh, refugees uh, to house in there and the whole time it was like, well, which one are we going to do? Which one are we going to do? Which one we we got to know what we're going to do. We got to know what we're going to do. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. We said we're going to do this. How are we going to do this? Y'all, just start where you are and keep your hands open to God. Let go. Let go of your control over it, Seth. (laughs) Let go of your control over things. Say, I just want to be faithful. I want to walk and follow God. And listen, I'm going to keep my hands open because he may lead me here and he may lead me there. But what God wants is more important than what I've planned. Can we do that together, brothers and sisters? I'm speaking calmly because we're so rigid as people. I've been in treatment for a long time for that. But really, y'all, I think we really try to, like, we, we take Proverbs 16, 9, and we say, in his heart, man plans his way and then establishes his own steps. That's what we live like. And, and just imagine if the modern church were stuck in Acts chapter 16. Well, I thought we were going to Asia. We said we were going to Asia. Well, yeah, we did. But, but you know what's the beauty? Whether we're in Asia or whether we're in Macedonia, we're in God's will. Because we're making disciples and faithfully loving Christ and his people. That's how we know we're in God's will. It's not about Asia or Macedonia. We're going to be faithful. They didn't stop. They knew they had work to do. They knew they were serving God and his mission. Another quote from Kevin DeYoung. If you think God has promised this world will be a five-star hotel, as sad as I am about this reality, I love five-star hotels, you will be miserable as you live through the normal struggles of life. But if you remember that God promised we would be pilgrims and this world may feel more like a desert or even a prison, you might find your life surprisingly happy. Stay committed and don't stop. That's my last statement I'll give you. Stay committed and don't stop. If you're doing the work of God's mission, you're doing God's will, so do the next thing. Uh, let, me just, let me just say real practically here for just a minute. Moms and dads, keep raising your children, pointing as often as you can to Jesus. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, love your husbands. Neighbors, take your neighbor's cookies. Plan a get-together. Do all things that work excellently. Love your classmates. 
Love your church. Wake up every day and do all that all over again. Every day of your life. And quit chasing experience. Quit it. Y'all are wasting your life chasing experience after experience after experience. When we sing at the, in just a few minutes, I promise. When we sing in just a few minutes, we're going to sing a song of challenge that we've sung before. And oftentimes when we sing the song, I'm not going to tell you because you're going to know exactly what it is. You think about it and you probably imagine yourself putting, putting, suiting up and packing up and getting on a plane like skydiving into some unreached land, 1040 window where no one's a Christian. You're going to go in just hell on wheels. You're going to save them all. When you sing that song today, I want you to sing that song as you think about your family, as you think about your wife, and your neighbors, and your friends, and your church, and your colleagues, and your classmates. And you're going to find that song, as powerful as it may be to call us across the world, is just as powerful to call us next door. God's mission is not out there somewhere. It's right in front of your face, so don't miss it. Discipleship, giving, hospitality, generosity. This is God's will. Praying, reading, fasting, sharing the gospel, calling a friend, taking the cookies, inviting someone to lunch, plan your trip across the world, fine, but plan your next thing and do your next thing here and do it now. That's the call. What is God's will? It's God's mission. So do the next thing. Stop overthinking it, church. Trust God. Trust God and do the next thing. And by God's grace, do it today. And so, Father, would you teach us that as miraculous as you are and as overwhelmingly surreal as you can appear in burning bushes, your spirit works in what we consider to be the most mundane moments of our day. For you are concerned with faithfulness where we are. And your will is not a mystery to be solved. Your will has been clearly revealed in your given perfect word. To make disciples, to love the Lord our God, and to love, love our neighbor as ourself. To pursue others with the gospel of peace and to train up generations in this gospel. How we do that in the midst of our life, Lord, we seek to be righteous and faithful through Christ in these big things, Lord. So that we are not so consumed with the, with the actionless motion of Christianity, but rather the action of your kingdom. So teach us to see the mission not always as an experience or an emotional high but as a calling right in front of our face to trust you and do the next thing in Jesus' name. Lord, would you enable us to find the freedom of your will and your mission? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.